What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host and our guest. Today, I'm sitting down with Chris Stewart to do part two of strategic decision making. Specifically today, we are going to be diving into size up, all about size up, all the component parts. Tune in and enjoy. All right, so we, if you, uh, if you listened to the first uh, installment, we kind of talked about why the SDM is important, why strategic decision making as a tool needs to be applied on the fire ground um, in order to uh, be effective and to save lives. And um, we want to dive into some of the, the parts of it, and we're going to start right at the very beginning. Um, and I've got my guest back with me, uh, Chris Stewart, sitting right across from me. So, Stu, let's talk about size up. What does, when, when I throw the word size up on the table, what does that mean to you? Well, um, so I'm a definition kind of guy and I, I really, I get frustrated not knowing and understanding definitions or, or when, or firefighters or students or whatever, you know, are confused about definitions or what something really means. So size up is about measuring the problem or measuring or assessing what is happening in front of us, Right. So size up is truly about that assessment of an incident in order for us to, to apply the most important action or the most critical action that's centered around our tactical objectives. So size up is a measurement of the problem in, in, a, in, a, in a rough sense. So it's our ability to assess the issues uh, uh, present because in any problem solving matrix or mechanism, if you do not understand the problem, there's a good chance you are going to suck in the solutions to the problem, right? So, so this is really, really important, and and uh, and it's actually very easy, or excuse me, it's actually very simple. But simple doesn't always mean easy, right? And so there's yeah. a lot that goes into this. And in my experience, one of the more enlightening issues I've come across is when you, you know, in, in teaching a tactics and strategy class, you know, there, there'd be a hundred students over a couple nights and you would ask the question pretty early on in class is, okay, what is size up? And, and you, you'd get a bunch of different answers and eh, mostly close. And then we would come, we'd decide on, no, this is exactly what the answer, by the way, this is what it says on the internets. You know, the, 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 you pull out the, the, uh, as Kruzak will say, the Funk and Wagnall, uh, um, <laughs> dictionary and, and look up these. So we come to this, we come to this definition that we agree upon as what size up is within the context of what we're doing. And then the second part of that is, okay, how do you do it? Does everybody here know how to do size up? And there's, there's every single head is, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, explain it to me. And when they explain it, uh, you get almost 100 different answers, right, as to where they start, what they, where, what, what's important to them, what the process is. So, um, and they may not all be wrong. And, in fact, in, and oftentimes there's some degree of right. Um, but we still have to start. We need a system that helps us start the size up process in the same place, in the same manner. So we're starting from the same position, moving forward. 
And so we have to define what the critical elements of size up are. So we didn't have like a true definition or a, or a true, uh, our, our policies did not have that. And so there was quite a few of us and you were, you were very, very an important part of that with us working at the command training center is okay. How do we frame size up for everybody? How do we frame it for every individual moving forward? And we were able to, to, to utilize three questions that help the individual um, start in the same place. Um, and, and, and those questions are, what is the problem, right? Like clear, get to, you know, cut to the, the heart of the issue. What's going on here, right? right? S- yes, simply stated. Yeah, as, as simply actually as you can. Yeah. What is the problem? Um, what's getting in the way of me achieving the tactical objectives? Meaning, is there something here that's present, connected to the conditions, connected to the problem, or that the problem is creating these, that where it's going to make it excessively difficult or risky for me to get it all clear? You know, do we have structural integrity issues? Do we have uh, a large volume of fire? Do we have uh, access, significant access challenges? You know, really important things that are fundamental to us, getting inside, getting water on the fire, and getting... Uh, and all clear. And um, so what is getting in the way of ach- achieving those tactical objectives with the second question? And the third question is, is there something right now that I, if I don't deal with it right this second, it's going to hurt or kill me? Like, am I going to walk into the the, the, the the building falling on me or the front of the building falling on me? Or, or is there something very obvious? And I don't want, I, it should be very obvious, right? It shouldn't be um, uh, but, you know, things that are third, fourth order consequences. Well, if I don't do all these things, then that could be really bad over there. No, no, no. Right this second, if I act right now, is there something that's going to hurt that I need to be worried about hurting or killing me? And so, again, we're not trying to make this more complicated, but if everybody starts from the same position and asks the same questions at the beginning of size up, we are more likely to develop that common operating picture where we all understand because the backside of this is communication, right? And the ability to communicate what's going on, the ability to communicate what we're doing. And so if we start in the same place, we likely will have that common operating picture uh, using a common language that which drives better understanding of everybody on the fire ground. So size up is all of that. In a, in, a, in a nutshell. And it's really about helping us define the problem and how serious is the problem, how big is the problem, and how much work is it going to take to manage the problem. So the thing that I want to add to that is when we, the question that always comes to my mind is when does this process begin? And so I think in a lot of us, it's like, oh, when I pull up and I look out the windshield and I have eyes on the immediate issue. But for me, this really begins, um, I mean, you could go way back, right? It begins at, um, you know, knowing your first due and understanding. And I, and I believe that some of that's true, right? Some of the reconnaissance. How you my do. parents raised me. <laughs> let's, let's go back then. Right. So when you talk about like you're in your first due, you're, you're recognizing some of the hazards that are existing that are latent sitting out in your first due, right? So that when an address drops and the tones come in and you're like, oh, I know that place. 
right? You've begun to size up that structure um, and some of the access issues you might face, et cetera, right? Your awareness is, is, is high level. Um, and then it's, you know, I'm listening to the dispatch, right? What information am I gathering from what's being reported? And then when you're, once you pull onto the apron, right, is there a header on the skyline? What does that tell you about what's taking place? And, you know, does it match the initial dispatch? And then you're listening to radio traffic and orient yourself to uh, who's going to be responding in and, and what orders, et cetera. And are you hearing, you know, if you're coming in second, third, are the first due trucks uh, what, what information are they sharing in their initial reports when they get on scene? All of that information is feeding your ability to make decisions when you pull up and now you look out the windshield and you're trying to match. Does, does that match? Do what is what I'm seeing on the fire ground match all the information I've gathered thus far as I'm on my way in? So I think we have to consider that our size up is not an isolated event one time. Right? It, it's, it's, it's a constant gathering process as you're working your way toward an incident. And um, if you're sitting in the back, I would submit to you that you need to be thinking about where you're headed and what you're getting yourself into, right? Start sizing it up, thinking about hose line deployment. What line am I going to pull based on the size of the event that we're heading into? That is part of the decision-making process. You need to start working through those variables en route to the event, right? From the minute the tones are dropping. Going back to the question of when does size up begin? Size up begins as soon as you're notified of the incident. So you're dispatched, right? And there's actually a pretty quick process here is, like you said, if I've done my work or I've had time to do my pre-work, you know, to my first do and all this, do I know this address or don't I? If I do, I follow this course of, hmm, I, I have some preconceived notion and ideas about what I'm going to what I, what I could experience there, and it's going to help me make decisions. And then if I don't know anything about the address, then I need to take things at, a, at face uh, more of a face value and use them and pay attention more closely for clues so that I can make a proper decisions when I arrive, when I actually can see what's going on there. So that when does it start... Um, yeah, you set yourself up with pre by doing pre-planning and pre-work, um, and but we don't always have that luxury. And when we don't have that luxury, that you got to rely on the process. That the process is even the process is important regardless. But it's almost, I, I would say, it's almost a little bit more important when you don't have any familiarity with where you're going. Yeah. Hey, that's a really important point, right? It, wouldn't it be wonderful if you had you've worked every first due, you've seen every structure, you know every risk. Like that's just not a realistic thing. Of course, I throw that out there as a as a uh, a would be nice, right? Sure. But you, you know, you get roved in, you're working overtime, you head into a, a or you get presented with a scenario you just didn't expect, right? And um, you haven't you haven't gamed this one yet, right? For yourself, so you roll into this incident um, and have to make decisions sight unseen. So. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a really important thing, right? This, uh, that, and that's where looking at your windshield and gathering that information and intelligently, uh, making an, a decision is so critical. And that's why this process is so important. So what, what, what are the variables, right? We talk about the fire ground factors. Um, when you're looking at the incident, well, let me actually, let me go back here for a second. When you talk about, let's go through this process of, you know, what the problem is. Are you are you considering the fireground factors when you think about that? So I, I think it's important to talk about size up and the critical factors uh, separately. 
because the way I use it, the way I've processed it, the and the way I've taught it uh, is that size up helps you figure out what the critical factors are, right? So the identifying what the problem is, being able to simply state the problem, and recognizing the challenges with 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 uh, in front of me with achieving the tactical objectives and anything that could kill me. When, I, when I've got a decent picture of that, it's going to allow me to figure out what is actually critical, what the critical factors are about this incident right here in front of me. So it size up is the measurement process. The critical factors are a way of simplifying what's actually going on here and simplifying what elements are, at, are critical. Because, and it's not, they're not all critical every incident, right? In fact, rarely are they all critical. And I would say if they are all critical, you have bigger problems. Right, because uh, the, the 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 old saying of when everything is critical, nothing is critical, and so you've got to really define now where you're going to start. And and ever and if everything's critical, there's no starting point. It's it's like the unsolvable problem, right? right? So we have to be able to define that, no matter how bad it is, is that measurement, and then all right, let look let's look at these critical elements. Let's define what they are because I'm focusing there first, right? What I, so what I love about the fireground factors is, to your point, is they're not always a factor, right? Sometimes they are a non-factor, which is identifying your critical um, non-factors is important too. Hey, I don't have to. This structure, conventionally framed, really robust, everything looks intact. I'm not worried about the building, right? That's not my problem. Um, but if I have a front door open, I have heavy smoke blowing out the back and uh, an obvious flow path, okay, that's a problem I need to be concerned with. How is the fire evolving and developing, et cetera? So um, I think it's important to understand the fireground factors so that you can take into consideration those variables. Again, it's a blink of an eye, and the more uh, the more you understand those factors, the more they're going to assist you in your decision making. So yeah, and they're and they're just criteria, right? They're eight they're eight high level factors, but there can be many components to all of them and some part of it is critical and other parts are not um i don't like i don't want us to have to pigeonhole the criticality of conditions or things on an incident just to these eight categories sometimes it doesn't quite fit or sometimes it, it i uh, you know somebody's not quite sure well just say what it is if you think it's a critical factor say what it is you don't have to put it neatly into a, one of these categories even though you probably could, right. right? But just say what it is. Hey, we have heavy fire on the front of this house, and it's involving all the means of egress on the front of this house. Well, that's that's fire. That that, that that that's fire. That's fire and life safety. Quite honestly, that fits into both of those critical factors. So rather than you know trying to parse this whole thing out uh, and to put it in a nice neat box, just say what it is. This is a critical factor to me right now. And and that helps. I think a lot of times that helps us become a little bit more swift and become a little bit more comfortable with, with what that is. Because, again, this is meant to be used on the fryer ground. This isn't meant to be a, just an academic discussion um, by, uh, by, by people sitting around a kitchen table. Right. This is actually, this is actually a usable tool. So we can argue afterwards, whether that was life safety or whether that was uh, fire, uh, the, the fire critical factor. 
No, the fact was is we th- that's what we had going on, and it mattered to us right then and there. Right. So let's talk about these broadly for a second, These the eight factors. So when we talk about fire and smoke, clearly the uh, concern with fire and smoke is, like in this particular case, we're talking about firefighting and making decisions on the fire ground. So that is obviously going to be our primary concern, right? And so many times you hear people say things like, ah, there's heavy smoke. But does that really define the problem? Right. For you as an individual, can you sit back and go, well, I saw a lot of heavy smoke or it really boils down to understanding what the dynamics are that are taking place on the fire ground. Right. What is the what does that heavy smoke mean to you? The volume, velocity, density, color. What does it look like? What is it doing? Where is it going? You know, is there a a, a, a deflagration imminent? Sorry, I had to throw that right. in there. So, right. so is there a big I don't event? even know what that is, but I, I hope I don't ever see one. <laughs> yeah. Sounds bad. So is there you know, is there a, is there an event that's that's that is seated and we're looking at the smoke that's telling us what that's gonna look like, right? And we're like, oh, something bad's about to happen. How do we know that? Because we we're reading the smoke and we're, those conditions are telling us something. So when what when you think about like the building, what comes to your mind as concerns? Um, size, complexity. And, uh, and it's state of decay, right? Is it, is it intact? Is it going to allow me to work inside of it or isn't it right? And, uh, and that complexity thing is how big is it actually inside? Is it something where I should reasonably be able to search or is it some place where, uh, searching is futile? If it's a grocery store, searching in a grocery store is absolutely futile and a waste of time. Um, so I need to make some decisions about that. And again, it's helping me drive to some action uh, on the fire ground and, and things that are connected directly to the to the tactical objectives. Um, and and then I look at the you know how the buildings put together, you know the materials. Because if I show up on a if I show up on a mid rise and we have a a fire and an occupancy, which we had a couple of days ago. Um, uh, is that a wood framed mid rise with a sprinkler system? Uh, or is it a block and concrete mid rise that has been sitting in our city for 50 years? Um, and with a much lower concern for me with fire extension and, um, and that building's not going to fall down because the, 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 the building material is combustible. Right. Where in the type five wooden fret wood framed, um, mid-rise, it is. Right. It's eventually going to decay and yeah. come apart, so, right? So and whether there's a sprinkler system or not, I'm, I still have to be worried about that. So there's things like that and that, that are that matter to us in that in in that initial size up of the building. And the experience part of this helps you be faster at whether identifying whether that's an issue to me right this second or it's not. Right. Yep. So I'm going to turn on to life safety. So when I think about life safety... We look at an occupancy and the question that comes to my mind is what is the probability that there's somebody in here? So I think about in a residential neighborhood, a single family dwelling, you're going to have a high probability there's somebody there uh, versus like a uh, an auto zone at three in the morning, right? The probability is very low. Uh, and then the next thing that comes to me is we're looking at the fire and the, and the conditions. What is the likelihood that there's tenable spaces in there? And is there somewhere that someone very well could be survivable inside that space? And the last thing to me um, when it comes to the life safety component is our capability for affecting rescue. Am I there by myself as the first two battalion chief <laughs> or do I have a, a, a crew of folks uh, stacked up waiting to affect a change on this event that can help us make this happen? The, um, 
and again, it's all about making decisions on the fire guard, right? Is life safety a concern for me? Um, or is this a vacant structure where I'm using life safety as an excuse to go do dangerous things, right? Or am I making a real value, a value-based decision based on potential uh, occupants that could be in there and really trying to affect a rescue? Yeah, that's the hard part right now in the fire services. I think we are struggling with the absolutes on both sides. And as Bruno called it way back when, it's the rescue fairy tale, right? And um, so we, there are, to, to, to paint the polar ends of this, this problem is on one side, we have people saying, well, you can never discount that somebody's not in there. Uh, okay, so then then is that is that a license for us to do stupid shit? No, I, not for me it isn't, but maybe it is for some folks. And then on the other end, the hyper-safe, the hyper-controlling um, part of the fire service says, well, um, you we, we, we want to manage every possible risk before we engage in uh, looking for victims, right? And is that possible? No, it's not. It, it, it simply is not. So... What can we do on the inside, or, or excuse me, in the middle of those two things to work effectively and uh, and functionally and live to tell about it really is the ultimate goal and, and actually make some rescues. So we're actually starting to get data now that is improving our knowledge, not only about, you know, statistically about rescues and those types of things, but then UL just in the last week or I think it's two weeks release their residential size up um, and rescue study that defined a lot of things that have never been measured about victim victim location victim removal and the conditions in and around them for these given experiments they did um, and then they did uh, they did a ton of work on this time to task where they all of the, the, the technical panel members went back to their fire departments with a series of tasks and they measured this kind of the average or mean of how long it takes them to remove a victim from a bedroom to the exterior or, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying this, but it was a, it was a ton of, of uh, broken down pieces like that that help them apply them now to these experiments and say, okay, based on these conditions and based how long it took, we can assume this is what the victim or we can, we can or hypothesize what the victim actually experienced. And based on that, what is the best thing for a victim? And so we've never had the ability to measure that. And, and, and I am far from being comfortable to explaining this report. I'm trying to spend a lot of time and I'm trying to ask a lot of questions about it so that I can better understand it. So if we connect that to the firefighter rescue survey, which Brian Brush and Nick Ledeen and, and that group of folks is doing, that is um, really starting to quantify what we didn't know about actual rescues. Uh, and we know we're not getting anywhere near the, the actual number and, and, and in the study. Um, but still, there's really, really important information that's coming out of that. So it's helping us drive this perspective of life safety. And it's not always, they're always there and they're always savable, or they're never there or they're never savable. It's connecting it now to the size of and going, okay, based on what I see, what is the most reasonable 
what is the most reasonable thing for me to be able to do about life safety? Um, and where do I think the people are most savable? Yeah. And, and what is searchable, right? It, the tenability is difficult to measure. Survivability is even harder to measure. Where are they? Where do I believe they are most savable? And that has a lot to do with my ability and my action. That last question in that in that series of questions you went through. So it's really interesting and unique when we talk about this, because uh, the question comes up is uh, the, the people will say, "Well, you can't have a life safety problem in a commercial building." Oh, really? We've never there have never been people trapped in a commercial fire. No, that's not true. But you, your ability to measure where they are and your ability to do something about that is the really is the critical part. Right. And there is a time you can, and there is a time you can't. The best example we had of that here in the city of Phoenix was Safeway, the fire at Safeway at 35th Avenue and Northern. Right. That's they a had great a example. real fire that ultimately ended up burning that grocery store to the ground, where. Uh, we made, I will call them rescues in the beginning of that, not in a, not in a, not in a search and rescue smoky environment, pull them out kind of way, but they have a fire in the back, a gas fed fire in the back, and they're trying to get the occupants and the workers out. And by the way, they're providing uh, resistance. They're like, yeah, no, no, we can't leave. Things are fine. No, you better go now. And they literally got those folks out with, with fire rolling over their head uh, in the last few seconds. Um, to make that difference. So it's not a simple, they are, they're, they're always there and I'm going to crawl around until, until either I die or I can't, I can't, you know, we, we don't find them that that's not reasonable. And then the fact that I have to make it so safe that I, I can't ever search until it's incredibly safe. It just doesn't work. Right. There's a, I love that example about the Safeway. The thing that I always, I always assumed because I hadn't had that experience yet. My assumption was if you if a firefighter goes in and says, hey, guys, the building's on fire. I need you to evacuate. They will just do it. But the reality, think about this. You got a 16-year-old kid working a cash register. He's been told that the float in that cash register is his responsibility. That's a tremendous amount of pressure on that kid. I'm not leaving this couple hundred, but I'm not responsible for that. I'm not. My manager said to not leave my post because I can't leave this unsecured. And Mrs. Smith's in line. Going, hey, I'm not leaving without my yogurt and my and my cereal and you know whatever it is yeah. that she needs in her life. Right. It, yeah. Exactly. So the factors that apply on people that, that put pressure on them is quite remarkable and and hilarious, frankly. The store manager was on the phone and he's and and the the company officer of Engine Nine Thirty saying, "Dude, you got to get out now. Come with me." And he's giving him the hand, like, "Hold on, I'm on the phone." Right. You're like. Well, 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 well you're, you've made your choice. <laughs> I'm about to kidnap you is what is what really what it came down. Right. To. So th- so we have to be the reason this is so important is when we start sizing up the factors, right? We start sizing up the life safety component. Human beings do weird things and, and we have to take that into consideration. Right. So we can only control so many factors here and we have to look at what we can do to change the conditions to affect rescue. And sometimes that's an action of opportunity because we stumble across somebody and we get them out or it's, we remove the fire from the victim or we are going in and getting the victim and getting them away from the fire. Right. And we've seen examples of each one of those things, but the, pr- the crux of that is making a good assessment of what is taking place on the fire ground and not making a blanket statement that, well, there could be somebody in there. So I'm going in. 
That's not smart firefighting. And I think at the end of the day, the, the pivotal pieces here, you have to make well-considered smart decisions, um, not just leading, not just running in there with a full of uh, spit and vinegar and emotion, right? This is driven by an intellect, smart, aggressive firefighting, not just aggressive with no brains behind it. Um, well, so there's, there's two things that I have had some realization with recently about rescue and, 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 and those types of things. So the first one is, is what is survivable and what we may have thought was survivable or was not survivable previously. And then we find out victims are coming out of uh, places like that with those conditions and they're surviving. And then on the other side is um, we're seeing conditions that we don't look, that, that don't appear very severe to us and people not surviving. So it gives us this juxtaposition is like, God dang, man, can we actually even really tell? Uh, there's a fantastic video out of Florida. Um, uh, uh, I got this from Keith Stakes because uh, he uses it in a presentation from UL and uh, of a of of PD and fire guys in a at a at a house fire actually rescuing a woman who is who was yelling at them and right previous to them making their way into the wind through the window into the bedroom to get her out. There's fire rolling over the top. There's fire rolling across the top of the or the ceiling of the bedroom, and it rolls out the window as they're taking the uh, the boards off the window, and they actually have to knock it down, go in go in the room, uh, orient themselves, grab her, and get her out, and she survives. So uh, I think in the in the UL terms, we would say that that was a the victim was in an environment that was intimate with fire, right? And she lives, and and we've seen the exact opposite where people way less serious conditions and they're not living. So that causes confusion with us and we need to work through that. And then the other part of it is, is when Frank Lieb, uh, who is the acting training chief for the FDNY was here. Uh, and, and he, he was going to talk fire behavior with us, but, but he ended up, he had just been the IC of that, that, that high rise fire in the Bronx, uh, back in January, where I want to say 19 people died. They like transported 60 people. It was a, serious serious high-rise fire and uh and the fire was in one unit and um but as soon as even the first companies were arriving the fires on the second and third floor it was a third floor apartment but rather but it was a two-story unit and that unit was the third floor and then it was stairs down to the second floor and there was no real access from the second floor. You came into the third floor, the, and then you got to go downstairs in the unit to get to where the fire was. So it's producing a ton of smoke. The, the door to the apartment are open into the hallway, and it's transmitting smoke throughout the building. So as soon as they show up, they are getting reports. The, their dispatch center is going, okay, we've got people calling on the 10th that are trapped by smoke, people on the 15th that are trapped by smoke, and all over the building, and uh, to the point where they're starting to think, Man, we have multiple fires in the building. Hmm. This can't just be the one fire. And then in that discussion, we got to the point where they finally had to push down that hallway. Getting to the fire became so critical um, that they had to push down that hallway um, and almost take that mentality that law enforcement has in a violent incident or an active shooter where I'm going to disregard the victim, so to speak, because if I don't get to the fire and put the fire out, I'm going to have even more victims. So that is that paradigm 
has not been talked about, at least in my career and in my circles. And, and I'd like to think I pay attention to what's going on nationally, but we haven't had that conversation as far as I know. Uh, not at least on a big scale. Um, there may be of individuals. But so to me, the recognition of that is, well, there's a time and a place where I have to prioritize a fire attack over over immediate victims. Because if I don't, I'm going to have way more victims. If I just start dealing with the victims and I don't deal with the fire, the problem is going to get worse and it's going to impact more people. Um, so it becomes really, really challenging. And I don't want to overcomplicate new officers in, in making these decisions, but um, they can't escape it. They can't escape the situation or the potential situation. So we've got to we've got to figure our way through it. So those are the things I'm trying to trying to figure out how, how we talk about more effectively. Well, and I, I think that's a great place to to just come to a close on size up. Right? Is there is no absolutes. There's a lot of variables and a lot of things that are dynamic and you have to make difficult decisions based on the conditions that are present to you. And the one thing I'll say in addition to that is that as you are, as you, as time is passing, conditions are evolving or you're getting your hands wrapped around them, right? You're either making the problem better or the problem is escalating. Yeah. Um, rarely does it stay the same. Right. So it's so important to, to recognize that you, this process um, and all of this, this whole entire size up process, the whole, or sorry, this whole strategic decision-making process is a, um, continuum that repeats itself. But the size up piece of that is, is constantly ongoing. Am I making a difference? What is happening now to the structure, to the fire, to the, you know, to the conditions at large? Am I able to get to people? Am I not, you know, all those different factors that go into this and you're constantly reevaluating. So in within those variables. The constant has to be the process. Yep. Is that the thinking process, and we're going to start in the same place every single time. All right. Any final thoughts on the, uh, before we move on, on the uh, size up piece? I think I have droned on plenty about <laughs> size up. Okay. That's all we have for today, folks. Thanks for listening in. Next part in the series, part three, we're going to be talking about risk management. So... Make sure you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, go on out there, get some.